Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, a.k.a. Hot Take Mondo, and I'm joined by my friend Reese, a.k.a. the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar. And today we're going to talk about a gritty, a grindy, a grimy Kansas City Chiefs win against the Las Vegas Raiders. And Reese, before we talk about that game, Tell us how your day's going. We're doing a little morning pod today. Instant reaction, perhaps, to Chiefs Raiders. That's about as instant as it gets. The only thing not instant here is my coffee. I am sipping on delicious New Mexico pinion roast coffee. Hey! Courtesy of Colorado Springs Costco. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's not going too bad for me so far. I got up, took care of Bowie. He's, uh, he's really sleepy today, so I'm just kind of letting him chill. I had to go to the DMV to license Noel's car. Uh, since, I mean, I'm sure everyone's done this on one time in, in their family is, you know, the, the family car shuffle, you know, where it's like, we're getting a new car and it'd just be easier to sell this car to you guys. Cause there's still good mileage on it and get it for like 500 bucks at the dealership. So Amen. subsequently my Noel's drive my dad's old, uh, 06 Pontiac vibe, which uh, Lord willing, you know, still got, still got years under the hood. Uh, but unfortunately when the car was transferred, it was transferred in my name. So I have to take care of all of the licensing and legaling and, the property tax and all that stuff, which I do think was a conspiracy theory by my wife so that she would not have to deal with all this stuff. Because uh, let me tell you what, it's like the opposite of Christmas every time that the uh, licensing issues come up. So today, the good news is there's a licensing office. Literally, I could probably walk there briskly in three minutes or I can drive there in like 25 seconds. So I went over there. And uh, waited in line for 30 minutes, as one does at the DMV. I have all my documents ready. I'm clinging on to my title. I got my insurance card right there. Everything you can think of. I sit down. Nice guy helps me. And uh, first thing he asked for is property tax. And I gave him a sheet, and he goes, this isn't property tax. This is, uh, what was it? It was some other document like property tax. And I'm like, well, I said when this car was transferred me last year, and I took it to the, the DOT and the uh, county assessor, they said that there was still enough credit on the tags for the Iowa plate that like I wouldn't have to pay property tax on this thing until like 2023. And he goes, well, do you have a waiver for that? I'm like, uh, I don't have a waiver. Is there a way you can look that up for me? And he was like, one second. So he's looking it up, and he asked if I had ever owned a vehicle in the state of Missouri before. And I said, no, this is my first time, which is not a lie uh, because uh, my Honda Pilot was registered in the state of Iowa up until I sold it. And when I got my Honda CRV. A couple years ago, and those tags finally expired from Iowa. I got it registered and renewed in Missouri. The same time, I had the Pontiac Vibe. Are you following all this right now? I am following it. I think we need Sam Esquire Jr. on here to <laughs> to make sure that all the legal jargon is good and that you're not um, perjuring yourself. Long story short, uh, long story short, I was told by the county assessor uh, I had received a. Uh, a time to file your property tax form in the mail for my CRV. So I did, did not receive it for the vibe. So I asked him like, Hey, I did not receive this form. Like, do you do this? And she has now the credit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So long story short, nice guy at the DMV looks it up for me. And, uh, he has that and he's like, okay, insurance. I have the insurance title. I have the title. And, uh, long story short, he saved me a trip driving up to the, uh, Clay County courthouse to get a document. So today's Dang. real MVP and the winner of the Montucky lucky guy moment is, uh, <laughs> I'm going to call him uh, Trevor. Trevor at the DMV, being a real Trevor guy. Trevor at the DMV. Cheers to you, Trevor. 
doing the best to do his job to the best of his abilities unlike carl sheffers and the nfl officiating crews yeah dude uh but before before we get into that i have a similar story but not as great but as it's fine so uh, you you know and our audience knows that i'm about to have a child so Mm -hmm. one of the things on our to-do list was to um um was to make sure that our car seat is like manufactured correctly and like put in correctly in the car so same thing here i'm supposed to bring documentation um oh no no actually this has nothing to do with what you just said but it's a fun story i heard the word (laughs) car you have you have my attention so i uh i i put the car seat in by myself I drive it over uh, to the police station because I guess there's a police officer that like helps with those things. And unlike your guy where like he helped you out, my guy was like, dude, you, you don't have the base to the car seat. And I was like, but 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 look how clicked in this is. Look how beautiful this car seat looks. He was like, no, dude, you need the base to it. And like, I don't know. I'm a first time like parents. So I don't even know where the base is because we have one of those like three in ones where it's like a stroller, but it's also the car seat. So the base was like hidden under the car seat. I had no idea, but now I know what the base is. So I got to go all the way back home and I had work during the day. So then I had to like wait till after work, go back, grab the base, come back to the guy. And I was like, finally, I grabbed the base. And he proceeded to have like a 45 minute demonstration on to like how to make the car, which is fine. Like, fine. I, I, you know, of course I want the car seat to be safe, but like that was, that was intense, man. So unlike Trevor, I had to deal with recently someone that just uh, was like, no, dude, you need this bottom part of the car seat to make sure that it's strapped in real, real, real good, oh my which gosh. is true. It's true, but still. Dude, bureaucracy sucks so bad because like, seriously, <laughs> if I had to get out of line, drive the uh, probably 10 to 15 minutes up the road to the Clay County Courthouse, get that document and come back and stand in line for like another half an hour. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh, but thankfully, man of integrity, he was able to find that waiver online and... Uh, did not make me go and do that trip. I think maybe it was because I kept saying "sir." I think Missourians like a good "sir" and "ma'am." <laughs> the old, the old Midwest polite. It's good that you're from Iowa because you got you, you got that Midwest polite in you. Speaking about Midwest polite, why don't we do one more segue and then we can go into the game? All right, hit me. Um, in in the fantasy chat, people were talking about how great Nebraska is. I've only been to, I've only been to Omaha, and Omaha was fine, but like. Nebraska doesn't sniff Des Moines in Kansas City, am I right? Uh, so here's the funny thing. I feel real bad saying this. Um, no, no, I, I will. Uh, I'll say my piece. No, I, I think Des Moines is cooler than Omaha. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, Des Moines, yeah, Omaha feels more like kind of not as cool Tulsa, whereas Des Moines feels like not nearly as cool Kansas City. <laughs> And I'll take the not nearly as cool Kansas City ratio over the not as cool Tulsa ratio. Although Omaha does have a uh, world-class zoo. They have Schlotsky sandwiches, which are very good. And uh, they also... There's Schlotsky's ha- everywhere. Not in Kansas City anymore. It's one that's been drying up. I think there's one oh, somewhere really? there's in the... There's a bunch s- in Colorado. That's oh. actually Logan's first job in high school. She worked at the Schlotsky's. Really? Yeah. Okay. Fun story I like telling everybody. So the Schlotzkys have been drying up around Kansas City. I think there's one in like the south suburbs in the Kansas side, and there might be one. I don't think there's one in Liberty anymore even. I think it's, because, it's because Jimmy John's is built different. Yeah, Jimmy John's got that hot dog in him. Uh, so <laughs> fun fact, uh, if you've been on Grand, imagine this. Uh, you're on Grand. You're leaving the River Market and heading towards downtown. Can you picture that? 
There's yep. that big white brick building built into the hill on the left-hand side. It's like a barbershop now. Yep. That is actually White <laughs> Castle number two, the second White Castle ever made. However, about seven years ago, I'm told, the guy who owned all the White Castle franchises in Kansas City got up in a huff, uh, wound up taking his ball and going home and closing all the White Castles in Kansas City. So the nearest one to Kansas City is actually in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Despite the fact that we have White Castle number two, which is a historic thing. That's crazy because White Castle originated in like Baltimore, didn't it? Something, something like that. Yeah. Why? Why would the second one come to Kansas City? I mean, I couldn't that's tell. So you. Strange. I mean, it, it just made should, decline. We should do a, a a deep dive investigation on White Castles and the history of of Kansas City and how it connects to the mafia. Dude, absolutely. Dude, everything in Kansas City connects to the mafia. Like, I kid you not, listeners. If you don't know the Kansas City mafia story, like, a, don't look into it too far. You'll probably get whacked. But like, b. I mean, for being Midwest nice, we're talking outside like Chicago, Boston, New York. The Kansas City Mafia is about as deep and as dark as it goes in the United States. Which is crazy because um, because like you would never think when you're in Kansas City, like there is no inkling, even when you're at an Italian restaurant or wherever, even like at Union Station. You don't feel any like weird presence or some unspoken rule that there are mafia members there. As opposed to when, Reese, when I lived in Cleveland, we had the second biggest bu- like mafia bust in American history wow. while I was there. Actually, this is a good story, and then, and then we'll go into the podcast. Jeepers, my, mafia. My, my friend was working as a busboy at, um, at an Italian restaurant in Little Italy, so... So our school, Cleveland Institute of Music, was located in University Circle, and right across the street was this strip of Italian restaurants called Little Italy. In fact, like Pavarotti, Corelli, Franey, when that when when they would do their national tours and stuff with the Met, they would come hang out on this strip, and like it, it was it was legit, and like that was scary because you would walk in there and you knew that there was some history. You knew the people around you were. Uh, could have been connected to something. So that was scary. More so my friend. So like I said, my friend was working as a bus boy and it was like 10 a.m. And he said like 40 FBI agents just like slammed the door open, guns drawn and arrested. I forgot how many people got arrested. And we're talking 2013. Wow. Like, like this isn't like the 90s or the 80s. 2013 this happened. And I think they arrested over 100 people that were connected to the mafia in Cleveland. But like that was scary. Like like you would walk and I would be like, uh oh, I don't know what's about to happen. This food's really good though. <laughs> but Kansas City, I've never gotten that vibe. Even in like Columbus, I know Columbus Circle where you used to live or like close by mm-hmm. has that ramen place, Italian place. I know that was like a really big mafia hub, but yeah. I don't know. I've never I've never felt as crazy as Cleveland. What I've heard is that, you know, back in the early nineteen hundreds and turn of the century and with that, like Kansas City literally was like the railroad hub for the country. You know, this is back right. before like airlines were really accommodating easy access. So like if you wanted to get anywhere in the country, you could get there from Kansas City. Similarly, because we're right in the Missouri River, if you wanted to get stuff smuggled, you know, up and down the river, you could easily mm. do it in the Missouri. So I mean you got access to everywhere in the country, plus like a straight latitude and longitude that cuts up and down through the country. Uh but no, it's crazy. Are you know that new Sylvester Stallone's uh, show Speaking of, sorry, it's called Speaking of Tulsa, but like it's, it's called Tulsa, the Sylvester Stallone no. show. So uh, I have not seen it yet. I don't even know if it's out. I've just seen a bunch of trailers for it. Uh, Stallone plays like an ex. Uh, he's like New York mobster. I think goes to jail and gets out. And uh, 
basically the mob sends him to Tulsa to kind of like lay low but keep the operations going from there. Uh, the show was originally going to take place and be called Kansas City, but the talk oh. was that there's still too much like active slash fresh wounds from everything that uh, they decided instead of making it kind of a semi-historical drama with things that could still be going on, they're like, let's just move it to Tulsa. Because the whole the whole concept is, you know, is Sylvester Stallone's like, hey, you sending me where? You know, and uh, they're like, yeah, we're sending you to Tulsa to lay low. But it was originally going to be, we're sending you to Kansas City to lay low, Cowtown, all this stuff. You know, we all, all got old connections there, you know. Uh, Don Stymie's there. You know, I don't know. <laughs> That's so. interesting. I, I had no idea. Well, you know what? This is actually a perfect segue, Reese, because speaking about people that should be going into hiding, we have our sir, referee, Carl Sheffers, that should be going into hiding after this game. And let's get right into it, Reese. What a, wi- what a wild game, but what a fun Monday night game. As I was watching, I was like, you know, this game is awful, but this this game, none of us will forget. Even the people in our text chain that don't care about the Chiefs or the Raiders, we're never going to forget what we just saw on a Monday night. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Las Vegas Raiders 30-29, to and yes, unfortunately, it was as close as it sounded, and we're just going to get right into it. As we know, Reese is the Reese incarnate Bach Lesnar, but he is formerly known as Refer Reese, and Refer Reese is all Always watching, always watching what these refs do. And boy, is this a referee game. Reese, the floor is yours. Please start us off with Sir Carl Sheffers. I think it's important to remember the fact that these officials honestly are just human beings and they're doing the best job they can to officiate these games. So I honestly think that for all the vitriol, Carl Sheffers should get a pass for what went on last night. No, I'm what? just kidding. Carl Sheffers can get kicked to the curb. He can get kicked rocks. He can pound sand. He can take a walk in traffic. He can climb Niagara Falls for all I care. Are you kidding me, Carl? Hold on. This guy's got a track record longer, longer than Michael Johnson. Hold on. Here we go. Uh, just some Good fun. Good morning, Carl America. Sh- just some fun Carl Sheffers statistics for you. Uh, those of you who might not remember, Carl Sheffers and this very team was the one that called the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay in 2021 uh just That's some fun right. notes right here uh j- just just take note of this the eight penalties and 95 yards enforced against kansas city in the first half were both nfl records for a super bowl the first half penalties resulted in six first downs for the tampa bay buccaneers which is also an nfl record officiating crews should never be setting three NFL records in one half. And if they do, they shouldn't be sniffing a JV squad game in Idaho State football. Are you kidding me? One more Carl Shepard's fact. I think this will be a very unpopular opinion with a lot of our listeners, but I'm going to say this, and I mean this. Sports gambling is a very slippery slope. And we're kind of in the early infancy Wild West days of it right now. You don't know who's gotten to officials. Even before sports betting was legal, there's the whole thing with, uh, what's his name, Tim Donahue, back with uh, the Lakers and the Kings back in 2001. Uh, Just some Carl Sheffer's numbers for you. Over the last three seasons, underdogs are now 27-13 and against the spread and is 40 games reft. The most profitable ref against the spread to underdogs in that span. Holy moly. This this isn't tinfoil Reese. This is this is evidence-based Reese talking about Carl Sheffers. Are you gonna tell me it's just coincidence? 
I think the league needs to file a formal investigation into Carl Sheffers and his crew, put him on some kind of probation and be like, dude, you are getting Thursday night Jets versus Falcons for the rest of your career unless you want a hand in your hat. There is smoke and that leads to fire. Yeah, no, great, great takes by Reese. Uh, Reese, have you seen the uh, the uh, Tim Donaghy um, Netflix special? It's in my queue. It's in my queue. Oh, I cannot man, wait. You, oh boy, it, it is going to make you live it. Yeah, I mean, it really, it really opens an eye about how there are no checks and balances for referees. I mean, we're talking NBA, but still, the NFL, maybe even more so. There's no checks and balances because the people in New York are tr- are there to oversee what's happening, but they're not there to hold them accountable at the end of the game or to file charges or to. I mean, sports gambling is going to get so big like you said it's already big but but since it is in its infancy it is the wild wild west right it's like um I'll, i'll make some examples it's like bitcoin it's like Twitter. It's like Instagram, right? It, when when we didn't know that that our data was being taken, there was no one to check that our data was being taken. We just thought, okay, Facebook's free. Great. Here we go. Oh, Instagram's free. In the infancy of those things, it, it is hard to get regulation where regulation is made based off of mistakes, right? That's how America works is we make things happen because something catastrophic happened. Does that make sense? Like, like, yep. like there is no preventative measures for something that is wild, wild westy. And Reese just made a perfect point that refs can do whatever the heck they want and can probably profit. And there is no oversight. There is no, there is no checks and balances when it comes to refs and refing and gambling. And now that gambling is public and it's not under the table anymore um, in the near future. And because of this game, I'm sure there are going to be things that happen that make sure that when Chris Jones tackles someone while he has possession of the ball, he was he was the ball carrier at that point when he fell on Derek Carr. I mean, things like that are inexcusable. That was just that was awful. And to devil's advocate myself, because I know Sam's going to be on this pod. Yes, the also the defensive holding on the field goal was also inappropriate. Like, yes, that is now if if we want to make an argument that is actually a call like defensive holding on is actually a thing. And that's actually what happened when they called pass interference on Chris Jones. That was actually not pass interference because Derek Carr didn't have possession of the ball. Like he, like Chris Jones was literally the guy and, and that is not a rule in the NFL. So that's, that's an argument that we can make, but look, both were bogus, a ton of bogus calls today by the ref, very inexcusable. And yeah, I mean, could have legal implications after this game and look if you're going to make the argument that that we're trying to protect our quarterbacks because of what happened to Tua and then Tom Brady complained about what happened this Sunday then fine why don't why don't you just put flags on on the quarterback and then we'll just grab flags if if what Chris Jones did if Carl Sheffers is still standing by what he said and by the way in the post game he still stood by what he said he said that he said that Chris Jones inappropriately tackled him put his whole body weight on top of Derek Carr and that is why this call stands even after the game then fine let's let's just not have 
uh, defensive tackles or people tackle a quarterback anymore. If you're so if you're so concerned about it, because Chris Jones did exactly what he needed to do. And I'll say it again. He had possession of the ball. You can't make that play. You know what? I think we're going to do a, a little bit of documentation here. So I've got the transcript from when Adam, uh, Adam Tyker had his uh, interview with the referee pool after the game. So kind of bear with me here. This is going to take forever. I'm going to give us some cliff notes on some of these questions and explanations that were given. So first question, can you explain why the play of Chris Jones sacking Derek Carr was called roughing the passer? To which Sheffer says, the quarterback in the pocket, sorry, the quarterback is in the pocket and he's in a passing posture. He gets full protection of all the aspects of what we give the quarterbacks in a passing posture. So when he was tackled, my ruling was the defender landed on him with full body weight. Lie number one. The quarterback is protected from being tackled with full body weight. My ruling was roughing the passer for that reason. So we're being told that Chris Jones was was called for landing on him with full body weight, even though reviews show, and it was game time too, that there was no fault. He did not wrap him up and go down. One arm was hugging that ball. Yeah, he was, he the was bag. trying to keep possession of the ball. He, didn't, he could care less about Derek Carr. The other one was in a plank <laughs> position, dude. He's got better position plank positions sacking Derek Carr than I do doing regular planks. Question two. The fact the ball came out before the quarterback landed on the ground and the player landed on the quarterback, does that negate the penalty at all? No, because he still gets passing protection until he can defend himself. So, with him being in a passing posture and actually attempting to make a pass, he's going to get full protection until the time when he actually can protect himself. The fact that the ball came out and was subsequently recovered by the defense is not relevant as the protection the quarterback gets. That's a bunch of crap. so in that in that logic, then uh, a defensive tackle or any or a defensive player cannot play for the ball anymore. Then is basically what he's saying because if a quarterback or if a if a defended uh, if a de- sorry a defensive player tries to play the ball at some point they are going to interfere with the quarterback during that play if they are trying to strip sack. Well, actually, strip sacks are going to be obsolete now, right? Because mm-hmm. because if you're going for the ball, you are going to interfere with the quarterback when they are not being protected. Like like that is the definition of a strip sack. Uh, uh, a a quarterback doesn't know is not prepared for a strip sack and say, "I am ready to be tackled." Chris Jones, come at me! Like it just complete BS, absolute BS. And even further proves that something fishy is going on with Carl Sheffers. Sheffers do not spit in my solo cup and tell me it's Miller high life. I don't want to hear anything <laughs> about passing protection. And, and he's trying to attempt to make a pass when he's getting riled up by Chris Jones. I tell you what, this sets us back 20 years. This is the biggest crap about quarterbacks attempting to make a pass since the tuck game rule back in 2002. This is atrocious. This is atrocious. I'll go on. I'm going to go on to more of this later. I'll go on to more of this later. But the next question says, so nothing changes as far as the rule when he loses the ball. Sheffers responds, just as if he had thrown the ball, he still gets protection. It's the same here. It's just a loose ball of another sort, but he would still get protection that is afforded to players in a passing posture. That extends after he's no longer in control of the ball. So if he's no longer in control of the ball, as I understand it, he is no longer attempting to make a pass. Therefore, he can't be in a passing posture if passing he's not attempting posture. to make a pass without a ball. That's a bunch of crap. Final right. question. A replay review in the situation would have been useless because of what you're telling me now, even though he lost the ball. Is it still, sorry, 
Even though he lost the ball, it's still roughing the passer. Correct. Was New York involved in this decision? New York was not involved in this decision. So after all this bull crap we just read through, I have some solutions that I would recommend to the NFL. I mean, obviously, it's not, not going to listen to. You know, we're a regional podcast coming here. But maybe, you know, this is kind of how, like, anarchy and the whole French Revolution started to begin with. It just takes <laughs> one little stone to start the avalanche. <laughs> But I they, think they they uh, they uh, cite Fountain City Sports Media and they're like US v NFL appeal. Yeah, we just need to get this uh, published and you know in a notable journal of sorts. So, <laughs> so here's my suggestions on some things, and unfortunately, a lot of them don't have a solid answer. So my suggestion number one would be, and which I've seen a lot of people say, is make it like targeting in college. Go back and review the penalties and make sure it actually is roughing the passer. Okay, I get it. Uh, I know that sounds good on paper, but as we saw with the pass interference rule a few years back, uh, these officials are in bed with each other, and there is no way in heck that any of them are going to admit they got a call wrong. And as we just saw in this page full of transcript, if an official can find one iota of something to defend their thesis, they will cling to that like a babe to its mom. Uh so obviously they're not going to overturn things. So that to me that takes reviewing those penalties off the table. Number two would be uh, I would make the suggestion of having an eye in the sky cam, you know, or not just a cam, but you know, an official like they have in some other sports. Uh, you know, you see in soccer, it's it's not perfect right now, but it does help to overturn some calls or at least kind of like blow the whistle on things that are egregious. This is something I had mentioned back, uh, Rams Saints in 2020, that it's like that that eye in the sky official doesn't need to be there to really do anything except for plays where like they can buzz down and be like, eh, eh, yo, you got this so bad, you got to pick up that flag right now. Or your ass is on the line. What do you think of that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised that they don't have eye in the sky. I mean, they they already like ESPN has their eye in the sky guy that confirms it. I don't understand why the NFL doesn't have someone to confirm things just like soccer does. The NBA has one as well, and it makes it really efficient and it's faster for the game, too. I mean, like a lot of mo- momentum is lost when you try to do things like that. So, yeah, I think I think they should have it. I don't understand why they don't, um, especially with sports gambling. Again, we'll come back to that point like. It's really important to have things in check and to make sure things are perfect. Yeah. And like I said, this is just for simple things. This isn't to review or overturn penalties. This is for something as egregious as that pass interference for the Saints Ram game, as this roughing the passer for Chris Jones. Multiple other examples I could just keep talking about till I was blue in the face. But option number three, which will never happen in our lifetimes, I mean, hopefully it will. Uh, as I mentioned before, in other sports, particularly international rugby, the officials are mic'd up. So when they're in a huddle and they're talking about stuff, uh, you can hear what they're talking about. So in this case, if Sheffers was talking all this garbage about, well, he's technically in a passing posture, therefore it can't be rough in the passer, we can say, well, well, that's a bunch of crap. That's a bunch of crap, but everyone would hear it. So then the part B to this, which is why it will never happen, is that afterwards, these pool interviews are public. They have to take the podium and they can say, yo, Sheffers, you said this, this, and this, and your understanding of the rule, which is absolutely incorrect. Can you explain that further for us? Here's the problem, though. The referees union. And like many things, don't get me wrong, I got family members that are union members. The issue is the unions are not there to protect their own from having to answer to accountability. That's 
something completely different. And anytime it's ever been brought up for referees to have to face accountability, these geriatrics who are long past their physical primes huff and puff and throw a big old tantrum or they threaten to quit and lock out like we saw in the fail Mary year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the, the easy solution is to have that independent body or someone to hold them in check so that you still have your unions. You still have, you know, Roger Goodell and you still quote unquote are protecting the referees. But if something egregious like this happens, it's an easy step in, right? It's an easy thing for them to say, no, Chris Jones strip sack. He had control of the ball. He was falling down. He couldn't like, like the laws of physics. He could not roll over while he had the ball in possession coming down. Like it was impossible for him to not fall partially on Derek Carr and having another body to check that. And to uphold that would be, it's a very simple fix. I think uh, one last thing I'll say about this is I think it's time for the refer uh, for the NFL to seriously begin a aggressive cycle of cycling out older employees and veteran officials that have had a long tenure there. Because this is coming from my dad. I think I mentioned this on you before. My dad refereed soccer for probably close to 20 years. He retired, I think, three years ago. Probably he was probably 59, I think. And the reason he said so, he's just like, I can't keep up with these high school kids anymore. He's like, you know, I can side judge. I can do my little, you know, sprints to watch off sides. Like, but I cannot keep up with these high school kids center officiating anymore. I think my dad would dust Carl Sheffers and legitimately half <laughs> of the NFL officiating crew in a 40 yard dash. Anyone his age, I, I, I would put it on there. So if my dad can't keep up with high school soccer players in the state of Iowa, how are we expecting some of these people to keep up with some of the greatest athletes on the planet and be in the position where they need to be to see the things going on and make such game changing calls? And you know who else can keep up with people? The whole NFL cannot keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs and the and Patrick freaking Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes now has the most touchdowns in the NFL right now, surpassing Josh Allen, who everyone reveres and some revere over Patrick Mahomes still, still, even after what we saw yesterday when he was getting slammed to the ground, still finds ways to make a play, still finds ways to find the best tight end in NFL history. The best quarterback in NFL history finds the best tight end uh, in NFL history and to quote our best friend, Sam Esquire jr. Um, since Patrick Mahomes is the goat, he should make it look easy. And boy, did he make it look easy when he scored four touchdowns, all going to Travis Kelsey, um, all of them impressive, all of them even are actually the very first Travis Kelsey touchdown. We saw Travis go one way, then do like a NBA finals double pick coming back the other way in a beautiful way. Reese calls him the fastest, slowest man or fastest, slow man in the world. I mean, just incredible what they were doing. And another thing that I want to say about Patrick Mahomes before I give it to you, Reese, is that <clears throat> we always see a different Patrick Mahomes every week. We see the, the rollout. We see the staying in the pocket, but, but we saw both today. And there was this really impressive throw. I think it was to Juju Smith-Schuster where Max Crosby was coming to his side. He stays in the pocket, about to get sacked, does a sidearm throw, and it's not wobbly. It's still a perfect spiral throw to Juju. I mean, he was just doing everything out there, and he was getting slammed by Max, getting slammed by Chandler Jones because of Wiley and OBJ 
Um, but again, still finds a way to win 21 unanswered points. I mean, we are seeing just an incredible amount of highlight reels and an incredible amount of, of guts from Patrick Mahomes. We even saw Patrick Mahomes yelling at Max Crosby on the sideline saying, I'm here. I'm here saying, you know what? You can score 21 points. You can have the refs on your side, but I'm still going to find a way to win. So even though it was an ugly win, Reese, these are the type of wins that show you that this Kansas City Chiefs team are Super Bowl contenders because it doesn't matter what you throw at them. They are going to find a way to win because we have the best quarterback in NFL history in Patrick Mahomes. Speaking of Mason Crosby, uh, sorry, Max Crosby, excuse me. Uh, you know, how come it's roughing the passer and unsportsmanlike conduct on Chris Jones when he uh, says something maybe mean to Matt Ryan a few weeks ago and tackles Derek Carr too hard? But when Max Crosby comes up and literally headbutts Patrick Mahomes in the helmet after a game to jaw with him, where's the 15-yard penalty on that? Yep. Just, I'm just curious. Just asking around. Uh, Why aren't you protecting the greatest quarterback in NFL history? Or but, even, but, but you're protecting Derek Carr. Or even in that drive where they get their first touchdown uh, after the penalty, uh, Mahomes uh, and that play where he fumbles the snap, uh, I, I can't remember who it was on the Raiders, runs in and slings him down in a whiplash motion very similar to the way Tom Brady got whiplashed on Sunday against the Falcons. Why is that? Ask, ask Michael Wilbon. Everybody go back to Twitter and look at all these things. I won't go there, but, uh, but it, it's definitely an argument that can be made. So, uh, you know, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just curious as to why Patrick Mahomes doesn't get some of these star treatment calls that uh, yeah. other, other quarterbacks seem to get on the regular. Even Derek Carr, who, geez, I wouldn't even call him a star. I wouldn't even call him a nebula. I wouldn't call him a gaseous fart. Uh, no, <laughs> going back to Patrick Mahomes, though, I think the, the, that's one reason why I think Patrick Mahomes really is the one like S tier quarterback in the NFL. It's just the fact that we saw it last week and that he makes throws and plays out of absolutely nothing that, you know, Nobody else in the league can even attempt and try. But, you know, uh, how, how many 17-point comebacks have we seen from other quarterbacks, especially when they're dead in the water? Like, the fact that they were down the way they were, they get that stop with Chris Jones, and they keep that drive alive to make it 20-7. to seven. Uh, You know, I, I thought the game was over at that point. Um, same thing with the Texans in the playoffs a few years ago. When we were down, what was it, 24 nothing or what was it, 21 nothing and. Mm-hmm. We come back and win that game by 30. Uh, no, pa- Patrick Mahomes is the only S-tier quarterback in this league as far as ceiling goes. There's there's other fantastic quarterbacks out there with great skill set, but there's only one Patrick Mahomes. Um, one thing, when you talked about how many times have other quarterbacks um, brought their team back from a 17-point uh, deficit. Well, actually, let's go for to 10 point deficit. I'm going to butcher this stat, but it's very, very close. I just don't have it in front of me. Um, Patrick Mahomes has won over 60% of games where they trail by 10 points. All the other quarterbacks in the NFL, less than 10% have, or less than 10% of wins when people are trailing. So we're talking like Tom Brady, we're talking Aaron Rodgers, we're talking Josh Allen. You combine them all together and Patrick Mahomes has a plus 50% advantage on all quarterbacks. And another thing that Patrick Mahomes does not get credit for is Patrick Mahomes adjustments. Yes, we talk about EB, we talk about Andy Reid making adjustments, but we always 
we we always give credit to the Eli Mannings to sorry not Eli we always give credit to the Peyton Mannings of the world the um, the Tom Brady's of the world we give credit to the Aaron Rodgers of the world of these of these pre play adjustments or they see something on the field that no one else sees but we never put Patrick Mahomes in there because we say Patrick Mahomes does things on the fly he improvises he dinks and dunks that is what makes Patrick Mahomes special but look at what happened in this game Reese the whole first quarter they get smashed what what changed in the second in the second half nothing he was still getting rushed and Patrick Mahomes found ways to to decimate that defense on his own with his smarts with his adjustments and things that we don't give him credit for in the national media of course we do in Kansas City but there needs to be more attention paid on the adjustments that Patrick Mahomes makes in that second half and is able to expose that defense right because we saw a different Patrick Mahomes but he was still getting pressured it was still the same Andrew Wiley it was still the same OBJ and even when 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 people were in pass pro like it was still all the same pressure so we got to give him credit for what he what he found uh, there in the second half because he he was finding people I mean he was finding MVS he was finding Juju he was finding Travis which he didn't find in that first half so give his smarts some credit continue Reese absolutely give him a lot of smarts I think one thing too that really helps with the fact that we started establishing the run after we fell behind enough uh, and as I alluded to, I expected this. They kept giving Clyde Edwards Alaire the running back one carries. That was not working, and they decided to go somewhere else. Interesting left, Jarek McKinnon, who finished with Attaboy. eight carries for 53 yards, including a very, very angry 30-yard run where he refused to go down. And I think that was one of the Incredible. few sparks you could point to that kind of served as a catalyst to light the dynamite on fire that got the Chiefs going. You know, I mentioned this in the last podcast, too. I was I was really upset, and I, I half-jokingly said, like, just watch, you know, after the game Pacheco had with Clyde. Uh, watch Clyde keep getting the first-string running back carries, and they're going to give Pacheco, like, two carries. Uh, I wish I was right on that. They gave Isaiah Pacheco one carry for zero yards. Yeah, um, didn't see him. I, I'm very frustrated with that because there were multiple times this game where they called plays. I, I, I'm sorry I can't cite this one. It was late in the game. Uh, it was like third and three or something, and they they kind of ran an end around to Clyde, and he almost got run down. He had to shed a tackler because he got run down from behind. I'm like, if he goes down, so help me. Anyway, uh, later on in the game, it was the final drive we had before we punted back to the Raiders. Uh, it was, I believe, second and three, and they ran a play to Clyde. Again, a speed-based play, and he was not fast enough to turn the edge, and it went from being third and short or maybe even a first down to third and four and the thing that came after that was that terrible Miko Hardman crossing route uh mm-hmm. guys the, the Clyde experiment's over he, he's the joke being it's like what if we took Darren Sproles but we gave him no Darren Sproles speed and zero shed tackle because the, the fact is the, the guy is lauded for being a receiving running back and you know running his routes and all that cool stuff he did at LSU we just saw a play where Pat hits him right in the dome because he doesn't turn around and look for the pass. What what does he serve other than a change of pace back or someone that can like give fresh legs to McKinnon or Pacheco who might be getting tired towards the end of the game? Where was Pacheco on some of these plays? The guy with the 4-3 speed should be running your end around. The guy with the shiftiness should be cutting through your holes. McKinnon did a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong. I love McKinnon, but at this point, it should be McKinnon, Pacheco, 1-2, however you want, 
and Clyde should absolutely be a change of pace back. The experiment's over. Um. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll meet you halfway. I think the inconsistency of CH is inappropriate, and I think that there needs to be, at this point in year three, some sort of model for CH. So the fact that he's been hot, cold, hot, cold is not good, and I agree with you that that experiment should be over of relying on him being the cowbell. Um, but I will say the games that he's had that have been great this year have been great. I mean, the, he, he's, he's had, had some good stuff. For example, he's already surpassed his receiving yards from last year and this year in only five games. So I foresee him having more of a prominent role as a, a catching back, but I don't see him as the cowbell. So I'll meet you halfway and say, fine. Isaiah Pacheco may surpass him on the depth chart at some point. I think Isaiah Pacheco and CH are going to still split the backfield at some point. It was curious, though, that Isaiah was not in today. And uh, how does Andy Reid and EB perceive Isaiah Pacheco? Is it really just a matchup thing for them? Is that why he was utilized last week and not this week? Is it because the defensive line is a little better this week than they were last week? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm really, I'm really not sure what they, how they perceive. Isaiah right now I think I think you and I agree that Isaiah Pacheco can surpass CEH I just don't know if he's going to have that opportunity if if Andy Reid and EB see him as this week-to-week -week, uh, game plan type of running back well here's the thing I don't even get the game plan for the game plan was right in front of your face when Max Crosby and uh is it Yannick Ngakwe Chan Chandler Jones Chandler Jones thank you their other defensive end were just going right through our offensive tackles. And you saw even in pass protection, Clyde was getting like picked up and abused like he was a tackling dummy, yeah. dude. He was he was basically a road bump at that point where you saw Jarek McKinnon was taking out knees. Jarek yeah. McKinnon was putting people's lives on notice. And you see the same thing as Isaiah Pacheco. In a game where you needed more pass protection, why weren't you featuring your pass protection backs? The same thing goes here with the rushing yards. Clyde had nine carries for 15 yards with a long of eight. You take out that long, he had eight carries for seven yards, less than one yard per play. Isaiah Pacheco in games where he's afforded over 10 carries breaks 60 yards. Like at this point, it's just a fact that if you feed Pacheco, he's going to make things happen. In the games he doesn't, you've given him one, two, and three carries. And been like, oh, well, he hasn't broken anything. Okay, I'm sorry this isn't David Johnson, his rookie year, where you give him the ball and he's going to run for like 115 yards on that play. I'm sorry, it's just time you got to move on. We need more pass protection because our tackles aren't the answer right now. We need to establish a running game because that's when our offense has clicked more this year. I just don't see what boxes Clyde is checking off at this point that warrants him getting the usage he's been getting. Yeah, again, I mean, we've we've seen this from, from Andy so many times, right? We've seen it even with old... LaShawn McCoy like LaShawn McCoy didn't deserve any of those snaps when he was on the Chiefs but Andy Reid still afforded him that opportunity I'm not agreeing with it I just that that is Andy's MO he gives opportunities to his boys to guys that you know he has you know ride or die with and unfortunately it it most of the time is a negative thing for the Kansas City Chiefs but I that just might be an Andy Reid thing I don't know but hopefully we see more of Isaiah Pacheco especially against the Bills which will talk about soon uh go ahead reese and then we'll continue to something else you know just just one last stupid point here i, I think uh sorry I'm, I'm just so fired up today because i'm sipping a cup of coffee in the morning as a, you know <laughs> supposed to be suppressed by a beer i think i figured out what pinion stands for p pacheco 
I, Isaiah Pacheco, N, no way are we not running Isaiah Pacheco. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, just put in Isaiah Pacheco. N, enough of this. Give me some Isaiah Pacheco. <laughs> Free Isaiah Pacheco. The campaign starts now, led by the Reese incarnate Bach Lesnar. Okay, Reese, let's. So we've talked about the good stuff that happened during the game. You know, we saw a lot of impressive things from the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's talk about some red flags and kind of end the podcast with the red flags that we saw and how that may or may not translate into next week's game against the Buffalo Bills. I'll start it off, Reese, with our defensive backs, our cornerbacks, Rashad Fenton and Jalen Watson. So the first thing that everyone said in our chat after the game is, you know, the if this is the way that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to play, they stand no chance against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills and Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. And here's a stat that I brought up and everyone just kind of poo-pooed it. Well, Sam did. Um, and ironically, Sam used a, a false equivalence or dare I say a logical fallacy to compare. But that's neither here nor there. But okay. We saw Derek Carr go for some deep shots, right? We saw him with Devontae Adams. We even saw him with Matt Collins, who I actually really liked, but got no targets today, uh, which are, sorry, no receptions today, which is worthy of noting, which we'll talk about later. Um, but we saw Derek Carr take some deep shots. Reese, in the, in the games that you've seen against uh, the Raiders, w- what is the only way that Derek Carr has been able to keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs? Deep shots. Deep shots. Deep shots and missed opportunities from our cornerbacks. So so for those that like just watched that game would say, oh, my gosh, the Kansas City Chiefs are in trouble. No, like Derek Carr plans for these things to happen. Like Josh McDaniels, like like Derek Carr has spent the last five years figuring out how to do these things. Right. And having Devontae Adams there at beating Rashad Fenton. Fine. That like that is going to happen. Is Stefan Diggs going to beat Rashad Fenton? Probably he's probably going to beat him once or twice. And there, and, and there might be a deep shot like here or there, but that doesn't define the Raiders offense. And that didn't define the game, right? It, it, it made the game close, but it wasn't like Tom Brady was out there spamming Mike Evans in an appropriate way. It was Derek Carr was like, I only have to beat this Kansas City Chiefs defense two or three times to put points on the board. And that and, and that's what he did. So am I necessarily worried about that type of game plan going into the uh, the Bills game? Not really. Like, yes, of course, they are going to deep shot once or twice. Stefan Diggs or Gabe Davis. OK, fine. But if they if they score six touchdowns because of that, then I will be upset. But if it's one or two touchdowns, just like it was today, then I'm not going to be as upset. And also worthy to note, Trent McDuffie should be back for this game. And a reminder for those of you that are not Kansas City Chiefs fans, um, Kyler Murray and the, and the Arizona Cardinals targeted Trent McDuffie's side of the field zero times in week week one. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. So you put him up against Stephon Diggs, and I'm really excited to see that. I'm also worthy to note that... After a couple deep shots in the first half, uh, the reason why Josh Jacobs had 173 yards is because Spags changed that defense. He put cover out there. He had protection on the islands. So that was the only thing that was working for Derek Carr. But again, you can't beat us if the only thing you can do is just carry the ball. Like, like, uh, how many times did Josh Jacobs score a touchdown on, on any of those runs? He didn't. 
Uh, well, maybe he had one touchdown. I don't think one, he had it. He had, we had one touchdown, right? With 173 yards. So again, and what that does as well is that wastes time. That, that you're just you're wasting time when you're running and running and running. You you don't have time to waste when you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. You have to put up points and you have to put them up quick. So this is a great strategy by by Spags. And I'm not ness. I am worried about our defensive backs. But again, that doesn't define an offense that plays us. Deep shots are deep shots, right? So my panic meter going into the Bills game because of our DBs is maybe a six. That's it. What do you think, Reese? I think you raised a lot of good points about the defensive backs. Just some things to touch down on here really quick. Uh, you guys got to remember, Jalen Watson is a seventh round, 243rd, yep, 243rd pick. Uh, who is filling in as a full-time cornerback because our first-round cornerback cannot play. Rashad Fenton is subsequently getting all these these uh, snaps that he's seeing, also because, you know, it's a, it's a ripple effect. McDuffie's out. Watson got to play for McDuffie. You get more Rashad Fenton. Rashad Fenton's a liability. He's always been a liability. Between him and Charvarius Ward, I kind of wish we kept Charvarius Ward instead, but, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh you know, Josh Allen is going to abuse these young secondary players going deep. I mean, I, I got to hand it to Derek Carr. He, that, that first play action pass he threw to Adams. If someone was that open, I would be so afraid of throwing that pass. I'm like, just watch me sail this because it, it was kind of breezy. Uh, but we also got to give hats off to him because that second deep when he threw late in the game to Devontae Adams, that was a dime. That was a dime yeah. in double coverage. But at the same time, uh, I'm not going to fault Jalen Watson. Jalen Watts was actually in pretty good position on him there. Uh, now, right. pretty good position is not going to matter when you got Gabe, the Beast Davis, just one-arming passes and <laughs> ripping him out of Steelers' secondary's arms. I mean, he, he doesn't just have that dog in him, dude. He's got that mastiff. He's got oh, that mastiff. Shut up. Uh, you know, but... Analytics, bro. His body's built different. It's analytics. If, if Joe Buck says <laughs> analytics one more time, one more time, I, I to me it's like one of those buzzwords, like when you say synergy or paradigm, you say in meetings to sound smart. That's just him trying to be like hip and cool with all the use and these young coaches with, with <laughs> analytics. Anyway, uh, this is all a digress. What made this game so close? What did the Raiders do? That worked so well in this game. They rushed four and didn't have to blitz. That's number one. What's number two? Uh, the Derek Carr deep shots. <laughs> that, yeah, okay, that's technically number three. Uh, the other number three I was going for was they established the run early and often and made us pay when we sold out to stop the run. Oh, the nice, game, yeah. The game plan for this game was not dissimilar from the one they had back in 2020 when they beat us fairly handily, and that kind of laid the blueprint for people. They were playing a too high shell more often than not. They were able to establish the run with Josh Jacobs to the point that anytime we sold out, that hit us deep on play action. And number three, they were able to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes without blitzing. All those things happened in this game. I very much believe McDaniels watched that footage and was like, what's the code here? The one difference being... Because we don't have Tyreek Hill anymore, Patrick wasn't spamming Tyreek and Kelsey all the time trying to get back to this game. I made that joke in our group chat with the smiley face like, mm, our receiver core is so mid. Yeah, that's because that's what happens when you have like a, a bunch of like not game-breaking receivers but viable options that any of those guys, paging Marquez, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, all those. McCole Hardman had Even some McCall. big Even McCall had a great game. Great game. All of this is to say... The Bills will have to attack us with a different game plan than the Raiders came in. I will be very shocked if the Bills walk in and use that rookie running back Cook or Singletary or who's the third one they have, Zach Taylor or Montgomery. Zach Montgomery. I, I, I don't think 
I don't think they're going to come out and try to establish the run against us the way that Josh Jacobs did. I think they have the dogs to Zach get Moss. Zach Moss. I don't think they have the way to get at us with the four man, or they do have the way to get at us with the four man rush. The Raiders did definitely. They're a very talented yep. team, but oh yeah. I mean, the Bills are based off of big explosive plays downfield with Josh Allen's big explosive arm and Gabe Davis's jaws of death being the Mastiff Master. Uh, so you know, just comparatively, I think it's gonna be apples and oranges. Uh, I would not be shocked if no, the Bills totally. come out and they want to enact revenge and they have their way with us. You know, and they might beat us just like they did last year. Uh, but the big thing is. Can they beat us in the playoffs? I don't care if we lose this game. All that matters to me is that we beat them in the playoffs. They've proven they can beat us in the regular season before, but they haven't proven they can beat us in the playoffs. So yeah. I know it sounds like I'm hedging my bet a little bit here, but you know, if slash when they do beat us in the playoffs this year, then I will absolutely tip my cap, you know, tip my cap, say congratulations, you've arrived, all that stuff. But until then, they like to walk around to the regular season to beat their chest and tell everybody how great they are. But by the time the playoffs come around, they seem to be a little tired of doing that. Their chest doesn't seem to doesn't seem to take those thumps as easily as it does. Whereas the Chiefs adapt, adapt, adapt. Amen. And I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to piggyback off your point, and then let's do score predictions after that. So Reese's point was that. The Bills offense and Michael uh, Buffalo Mike will agree with us. The Bills offense is not predicated on their running game, right? And the only the only legs they have is Josh Allen. So I'm very interested to see how Spags uses Nick Bolton. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Willie Gay will will be back. Willie Gay is oh, gone. he's still darn it well yep. it doesn't matter actually because Darius Harris is still playing incredibly well I, I really am proud of Darius Harris. he actually had the most tackles on the team uh, yesterday as well but I am very interested to see how Spags utilizes Nick Bolton as the as the run stopper and as the QB spy because if he can solidify that role and like definitively say you cannot beat us with your legs Josh Allen you have to beat us throwing the ball then, then that's a huge game changer for the Kansas City Chiefs because we had Nick Bolden last year, but Nick Bolden is a, not a superstar, sorry, but but he is a budding pro bowler right oh, yeah. now, and he could be the answer to taking away Josh Allen's legs next week. And if he does that, then it's really easy to game plan against Josh Allen because then Josh Allen becomes the 2021 Kansas City Chiefs. We know he's going to have to throw the ball. If Patrick Mahomes scores touchdowns against this defense, he has to throw the ball. And if Nick Bolton can stop him with his legs, then it might be a lot easier to guard Stephon Diggs, a lot easier to guard the Mastiff blah, 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 Gabe Davis and whoever else the hell's on that team. I mean, Dawson Knox does not look good this year either. He's on my fantasy team, so I been really watching him and yeah, i'm very disappointed in that one. yeah well um it, worthy to note that his brother um was um um i don't know if tragically killed or mm. he, he died unexpectedly in week one and you can tell like you know that that just really wears on somebody yeah. so that could that could be because of his game but i mean like he just hasn't been playing well so you can kind of factor that out of the offense right now and if we can center the bills offense on stefan Diggs and gabe davis just like the bills centered their defense against tyreek hill and travis kelsey we might have a formula to stop them. So I'm very interested. Uh, my X factor is Nick Bolton. If Nick Bolton can stop uh, Josh Allen in the running game, I think we got him. I think 
What's really interesting is, as you mentioned, Nick Bolton's budding into a pro bowler. I don't think he has the athleticism and speed to play spy on Josh Allen. He might be assigned to in this game. Uh, but I will say, and I, I mean this with all sincerity, Nick Bolton is a top three pure tackler in the NFL. And it's not even a question. Uh, yep. if, if you want to teach your kid right now how to tackle or if you want to get your team better at tackling, just show him Nick Bolton footage. He doesn't even hit like, you know, he's not even like going into like a cruise missile. He's just like, this is nope. how you tackle somebody, wrap him up and bring him down. I mean, he's bringing down guys two times this size. He's incredible. That being said, I do think Willie Gay Jr. not playing is going to be a big deal because Willie Gay is probably the, the guy spy, we would yeah. normally have spy Josh Allen. He's our and best. Willie, and, and we've seen Willie Gay successful against guys like Lamar Jackson, too. So Yes. Uh, so, I mean, that's another thing that if we do see the Bills in the playoffs, you know, we have to make the playoffs first. You know, that's going to be something different. They're not going to see the same defensive strategy we're going to throw in this game because, you know, we'll probably have a, a limited snap count McDuffie as well as no Willie Gay Jr. So I think that's going to be hard. Uh, I think Josh Allen is going to put up a night passing. I think it's going to be kind of slow, but he's got like Derek Carr. I think he's going to have a lot of big plays. Totally. But it'll be an interesting game. I'll just say that. All right, Reese, give us, give, give us the scores and then we'll wrap this up. You know, this one's this one's difficult for me because the Bills have kind of been hot and cold so far this year. Offensively, they've had their way with some fairly questionable competition. I'm talking about blowing up the Steelers last week. I mean, the Steelers are on an epic meltdown path right now. Uh, they dropped 31 on the Rams, but I think we're all seeing the Rams aren't necessarily the team that we all thought they would be. But the Dolphins held in a 19. The Ravens in their atrocious defense that dropped four touchdowns against two in the fourth quarter held them to 23 points. Uh, but they also did blow up the Titans. So blowing up the Titans is a big deal. Like I said, the Bills of last year were very feast or famine on defense and offense. And I think we're seeing kind of the same thing this year. I think this will be a big grudge match game for the Bills. I think they'll have a point they want to make. Uh, I could see the Bills blowing us out. Uh, let's say 38 to 20. I'm going to go 38, 38 20 bills. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Um, you know, I am also going to be a negative Nancy on this one and say Wiley and OBJ showed me no confidence in what this uh, Bills defensive line, who is incredibly impressive, is going to do to Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to get sacked three to four times. I think he's going to have in the second quarter, he's going to do one of these, uh, putting his hands up and saying, I have no idea what the hell we're going to do. I think they will adjust, but it will be too late at that point because we saw that last year where I have forget how many points um jo i think josh Allen put up 21 points in the first half last year am i or at least 14 in that first half it, it and that's when least. we knew it was over yeah i mean mm -hmm. uh, we are a different team but i think that because of the stakes and how low they are for the kansas city chiefs we're four and one right now i don't think this is a must-win game at all especially looking at the afc west i can totally see the chiefs going i do not want to throw the whole playbook at the buffalo bills let's save some um we'll, we'll still make adjustments on the fly but i think i also think that the buffalo bills uh do beat us here uh let's say i, I won't say 30 i think 38 is too much i hope it's not 38 because then i'll be really upset because again i'm still i'm still banking on um trent mcduffie on one side and sneed on the other side again we didn't see any blow up plays against sneed we haven't seen any blow up plays against sneed people are avoiding sneed's side of the field and if sneed is our cornerback 
two or mm-hmm. Trent McDuffie is our cornerback too. Uh, boy, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard to throw against us, but again, it's a great offense. Josh Allen's great. Um, how about 27 to 21? Still, still a close game, 27, 21. And that way, when we, when Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes shake, he goes, I'll see you in the AFC championship. All right. I think that's a fair prediction. I'd be happy if we held the bills to 27 points. I don't, I don't think our defense can right now. I think we're still figuring some things out, but so you've seen the season yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really banking on Trent McDuffie, which is ironic because we all know that, you know. All right. You know, what? Uh, to end the podcast, Reese, a Montucky cold snack take back. I am taking back my and we've only seen one game of Trent McDuffie, but I've I'm missing him so much these past few days, these past few weeks, Reese, that I'm going to take back my take and said I wanted Jermaine Johnson over Trent McDuffie. Trent, I, Trent, I miss you, man. Come back. Come back full health. I believe in you now. I'm sorry about what I said about you and saying you weren't as good as Jermaine Johnson. I I'm, I'm going to forget Jermaine Johnson, put him in the back of my back of my whatever. I'm, I'm going to give you a six-pack cold snack take back come back Trent McDuffie and wreak some havoc Armando's thirsty for that McDuffie cold snack ladies and gentlemen all right stay tuned next week we should have a fire pod no matter what happens I know it's going to be a great game it's always always a fun game even if we lose I mean it's always watching Josh Allen watching Patrick Mahomes like this is rare NFL fans you have to watch the game you have to witness greatness even though it's 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 the it's the afternoon game on a Sunday which is stupid like come on this is this is literally like this only happens twice a year you gotta watch it all right we'll see you next time Kansas City fans uh follow us on Twitter all those great things download this podcast peace We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to get access to premium content, including bonus episodes, exclusive beer reviews, and Speedy and Angry, our latest 10-part miniseries into the Fast and Furious franchise. Check us out on social media at Fountain City SM for info on the podcast, memes, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for performing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. (laughs) 